0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So for the ministry of the Word, let's turn to Deuteronomy 33. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir, He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from His mountain slopes. Surely it is You who love the people. All the holy ones are in Your hand. At Your feet they all bow down. And from You receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. He was king over Jeshurun, when the leaders of the people assembled along with the tribes of Israel. Let's turn now to Psalm 18. Here the psalmist records the glorious appearance of God just as similar to what Habakkuk sees in our text. Psalm 18, verses 1-19. through For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord... He sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came before Him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering His canopy around Him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of His presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot His arrows and scattered the enemies great bolts of lightning, and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Let's turn now to our text from Habakkuk chapter three, the verses one through seven. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigiano. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Timan, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do the students feel this morning? Pretty awesome, huh? Exams are over. Another school year has come to an end. Summer work. Advance to the next grade. Go to a new school maybe. And other people might feel pretty good because they're one week closer to their summer vacation. It's kind of awesome too, isn't it? Well, the word awesome is pretty well in our text today. It's in verse 2. I stand in awe... There's the awe of awesome. I stand in awe of your deeds... Oh, Yahweh. Habakkuk felt awesome, but in a deeper way than we do when exams are done. He was in awe, the kind of awe that's tinged with fear. He didn't just say he felt awesome, but that he stood in awe. And the feeling almost left him speechless, you might say he was almost dumbstruck. Now, Habakkuk's here at chapter 3. This is another one of his prophecies of a perhaps over a lifetime. These three were of such a kind that they were included in the Word of God. And he's come to the point where he's not entirely dumbstruck. He's filled with awe, but he expresses it in a prayer. It's a prayer of praise and of power. It's also an answered prayer. He asks God to renew his awesome deeds in his day and God's powerful response rocks him back on his heels. He describes in our text the awesome appearing of God. And that appearing satisfies all the questions about injustice that Habakkuk has been asking in this book. And he will close with one of the most powerful expressions of faith in the entire Old Testament. As we sing, though fig tree does not blossom, and vine no fruit may yield, though olives be a failure, and barren be the field, yet, 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 I will rejoice in God. Now what's the most awesome thing that could happen to you? Perhaps to see God... Isn't that one of the Beatitudes? Pure in heart, will see God. Many Christians wish they could. And it's true, that would be an awesome thing. So awesome and fearsome that if you're already a true believer, and then you saw God and He let you live, because you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, that would settle everything for you. That would clear away any nagging doubts you have. You wouldn't doubt that God is working all things for His glory and in His time, that He's in control. And just like the vision of God for Habakkuk sealed all the words God had already spoken to him, so it would also help you. But you would still need, as long as you continue in this life, to know God through His Word, just like Habakkuk did. That's how he knew of God's deeds and God's fame and reputation. You'd still need to learn humble prayer as Habakkuk here gives the revelation by way of a prayer. And you wouldn't come away from such a vision of God thinking that all the written word of God is now just straw and no longer needed. You would be all the more awestruck by God's written revelation. And you would know all the better that God answers prayer and is worthy of praise Well, then I'm going to urge you this morning to live close to this awesome God in prayer and let Him appear to you this morning through the preaching of the Gospel. So our theme is as follows. The glorious God responds powerfully to Habakkuk's prayers. The glorious God responds powerfully to Habakkuk's prayers. And through this powerful response, brothers and sisters, He appears to us through the preaching of His Word today. So we'll see, first of all, praise, secondly, petition, thirdly, God. That's appearance. Praise, petition, and God is appearance. Praise is verse 2a, petition is verse 2b, and God is verses 3 to 7. Now that doesn't mean the third point is four times as long as the others. So praise. Let's review what Habakkuk has taught us If you had gone through chapters 1 and 2 so that this prayer in chapter 3 will have that much more impact for us. Chapter 3 is the third of a three-part dialogue between God and Habakkuk and chapter 3 is the climactic part. The prophecies belong to the time of the good king Josiah when the covenant with God was renewed after 50 years of apostasy under King Manasseh. But it's... At the time at the end of Josiah's reign when he was killed, the age of 39. And so now the faithful are asking questions, what is happening to this reformation of God's people? Is God angry with his people? And they live at a time when they're, they're still a small nation. They become a bit more powerful, powerful enough that when Pharaoh Nico wants to go through their land to the north to Fight against Babylon. Josiah tries to oppose him, and that suggests that Josiah was an ally of Babylon, going back to the days of Hezekiah when he showed all his treasures to the Babylonians. That was Josiah's grandfather. And so you have this little country of Judah, stuck between a superpower in the south called Egypt, a superpower in the north called Assyria, which is the superpower, but then a rising superpower over in the east called Babylon. And Babylon is soon going to come and sweep through. And so when in chapter 1, Habakkuk asks, Lord, why don't you mete out some justice? Look what's happening to the righteous in among your people. The law is paralyzed. Nobody observes it. And then God's answer is, I'm going to send the Babylonians that ruthless people and Well, this would be an astonishing thing. Weren't the Babylonians our ally? And you're saying they're going to come across, they've got to get through Assyria first, which is the the reigning superpower, come down and punish Judah. How can that be? And then, Lord, He says in chapter 2, you would then be taking a wicked nation to punish another nation more righteous than themselves. That's us. How is that just? That's chapter 2. And God's answer is that the just will live by faith. They have to believe what God says, that there is a time of judgment coming. And then God anticipates the judgment in the last part of chapter 2 with five woes. Woe to the idolater. Woe to the greedy conqueror. Uh, woe to the immoral man. And so on. Speaking against the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are on the rise. They're the superpower. Coming up. And God tells His prophet to pronounce woes, which is a way of saying they're going to be judged and you have to believe my word that just will live by faith. That's the context leading up to chapter 2. And so Habakkuk is being taught the just will live by faith. They don't live by sight because they don't see that God's measuring out justice exactly right now. He's tolerating all kinds of injustice. And they have to live by faith, not by works. It's not really... Maybe they're more righteous than the Babylonians, but they better not think that their righteousness is going to save them. That the just will live by faith. And that's the way that text gets used three times in the New Testament. And then we come to the fullness of faith, or the, the fullness of what must be believed in chapter 2, verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. The point being that Whereas the Babylonian king, and you know what Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, is this not great Babylon that I have built while he's walking on the roof of his palace? For my glory and the splendor of my kingdom and my name. And the Lord says, no, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to make a proclamation that's recorded in Daniel 4. Sent it out to his entire kingdom saying that only the God of heaven is the glorious God and, and he himself, this great, king was made into an animal and lost his mind. So these things are being fulfilled. And then when we come to the end of chapter 2, but Yahweh is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. This is introducing the appearance of God. Yahweh is in his holy temple in heaven. The earth should be silent before him and worship him and This is like Isaiah 41, verse 1. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak because they better be strong and and ready. Let us meet together at the place for judgment. So, you be silent and you wait and see what the judge will say. Silence in the court. That's how chapter 2 ends. So now we come to our text in chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a prayer. It's the third time then that Habakkuk addresses God. And he describes God's appearance and so God's response is embedded into the prayer. And the prayer is at the same time a psalm. Verse 1, it's on Shigianoth. Likely something to do with musical instruments. And at the end, verse 19 at the end, for the director of music on stringed instruments. And actually... There are two Selahs at the end of verse 9 and verse 13, which scholars aren't really sure what Selah is, but you know where else you see that word all through the Psalms. So here's a psalm. It's even got directions for the choir master in the temple. And this indicates that in the Old Testament it wasn't just the Psalms that were sung, but this also could be used. And if in the Old Testament then, how much more in the New with the fulfillment in Christ One might then argue we're not exclusively bound to Psalms, but also can sing then faithful renditions of scripture. And so here's this psalm that begins with Praise. Yahweh, I have heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds. O Yahweh. This is the anchor of the prayer. Who is God? What is his reputation? And the report or the fame of God is His reputation. I've heard of your fame. It's what people think of God. It's what glory attaches to Him. How people's eyes widen and their their voices hush when they start to talk about this mighty God who has favored one nation over all the others and look what He did for them. That's awe. That's hearing of God's fame. and indirectly, when one says, I have heard of Your fame, indirectly that is praise. That's like the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon and saying, yeah, back when I was in my own country, they didn't even tell me the half of Your kingdom and Your glory. Someone's reputation, we say, precedes them. It's like the people of Canaan who were trembling in their boots as Rahab told the spies the fear of God has fallen upon all the inhabitants. They remember what God did taking His people out of under the hand of Pharaoh and through the Red Sea. And so Israel arrives and the people are all trembling in fear. It's the fame and the report of God and what it does. And the deeds or acts of God speak of what He has done in the past. And Habakkuk here, when he says, I have heard of your fame, he's speaking like Job. At the very end of Job, God has made his appearance. Chapter 42, Job says, I had heard of you with my ears. I had heard of you with my ears. That's where Habakkuk is right now. I've heard of your fame. And he's about to get to this point, the next thing Job said, but now my eyes have seen you. It's really a poetic way of saying, now my, I understand. Now I have uh, an epiphany. God, you're, you're so much more real to me. So here's Habakkuk who knows the Scriptures and knows the past deeds of God. And these ought to prove that he does rescue his children. He does punish the evildoer. Think of Egypt being punished by the plagues. Israel, his treasured possession being drawn out. Think of the Canaanites who were vomited out of the land for their flagrant idolatry. Think of the times of David and Solomon where God granted a glorious peace and a wonderful kingdom. So God does distinguish the righteous from the wicked. The past deeds of God prove the point. Now Habakkuk, living as he does some... 600 years before Christ or so. First deportation of Jews is 605 to Babylon. Habakkuk has not yet heard of all God's acts in Jesus Christ. In fact, he's heard of them in prophecy, but not as done deeds. But soon they will happen. And the report of what did happen then has reached your ears and mine. You've heard. Now what does it mean To you. What does it mean to you? What the Lord Jesus Christ did. What God did through Him. What kind of reputation of God does that give? Do you stand in awe of the deeds of God? Habakkuk speaks here as a believer. I stand in awe of your deeds. We sing our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Awe is respect with fear. It's an overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration. Reverence and admiration in the presence of the holy, particularly with God. It's the kind of awe you have in the presence of the holy who is completely without sin and completely with total, absolute power. So there's fear added. Something awesome is that which induces or causes awe in us. Now, unfortunately, just like I used the word at the beginning of the sermon, that's common parlance today and it kind of cheapens the word, obviously, to say, I had an awesome day. It'd be better to say, I had a great day. But of course, we grasp for words to try and uh, make things seem really great. And that's why people misuse God's name as well. It's better to carefully um, look for synonyms and and memorize some great words uh, that would describe your situation, some great adjectives. And so the idea of awe ought to be reserved for our response to things that are grand, sublime, or extremely powerful. Now, it's not like this sermon is going to change the use of the English language among us. But let's remember this. Awesome is when your jaw drops and there's a tremor in your heart. Your stomach goes to your throat for a bit. And you cannot take your eyes off this thing. It fills your mind and your heart. the, The power of a waterfall like Niagara Falls, if it was really going full force, That would really induce some awe into your heart as you come close. But now the reputation of God, if you really know Him and what He has done, that should induce this kind of response, I stand in awe of your deeds. So that's the anchor we set of the prayer. It's the praise of God. Now let's go to the petition in the second part of verse 2. What does he say? He's speaking of the deeds, and then he says, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known, in wrath, remember mercy. And so he wants God to do it all again, repeat it, renew it, reestablish it, reassert his power, reenact the great things he has done in the past. When? Now! In our time, in our days, in our generation, in the present circumstances. Why? Because it's a time of wrath. In wrath, remember mercy. Don't forget who we are and don't forget who you are. Show your mercy. And mercy is the only hope for a sinful people. Mercy is the loving and gracious heart of God. The word here for mercy... Gives the idea of the depths of God, the seed of His emotions in wrath. Remember the mercy that is at the core of your being, like the way that a mother might think of the child in her womb and protect it. Show mercy from the depths of your heart. So Habakkuk asks God to reveal Himself in the ways He has in the past. Reenact, reassert, repeat, renew, do it again. Cause it's a time of great need and God's people are suffering. And for any time that they do suffer in the future, they are given these words to pray. Renew your deeds in our day, in our time, reveal them in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's really asking for the coming salvation work in Christ. He's asking God to work salvation for the oppressed, to set the captives free, to comfort the distressed. Now, is God going to answer Habakkuk? Well, just wait and see. Should we pray this way too? What would it mean if you said, Yahweh, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Yahweh. Yahweh. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Reveal them in wrath. Remember mercy. What would it mean? We'd be asking God to do something on the level of His work in Christ who came, who suffered, who died, who rose, ascended, and rules. Well, then what would that be? What would you be asking if you said renew those things in our day? You, then, would be asking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. That would be renewing the salvation works of God. Then, obviously, we should pray this. Renew them in our day, O Lord. In our time, make them known. Now, some people pray these words of Habakkuk. Renew them in our day, Lord, and they're just praying for revival. And they have this certain subjectivist sense of revival. Revival. Of ecstatic experiences and so on, renew it in our day, and they want this ecstatic experience of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let's consider carefully here that this vision is not just some great experience that Habakkuk wrote down in his journal, and the next guy wrote his down too, and everybody said, "Oh, we like Habakkuk's better. Let's put that one in the Bible. This is not an everyday experience of the believer, brothers and sisters. This is the special privilege of Habakkuk as an ordained prophet of God who gets to even represents God's people in bringing the petitions and then God speaks through him to the people to say yes, God is sovereign, God is in control. He has a purpose, he has a plan, he has a schedule. Submit to him. And so this is written down for our instruction. God isn't going to do this for you that he gives you the vision like Habakkuk got this vision. But, he is going to send his Son, Jesus Christ, for whom you ought to pray every day. And furthermore, through the Word, Christ becomes present to us, and God renews His deeds to us personally, in our hearts, in our lives, renewing us in our day. So let's turn to the description of the appearing of our awesome God that God may indeed come to us through it that Christ may live in our hearts by faith. So the appearance of God. Verses 3-7, to God answers merely by His appearance, which settles the matter. Habakkuk receives a theophany. That just means an appearance of God. In the midst of his prayer, the God whose past deeds and reputation he has praised and of whom he has prayed for future mercy now answers Habakkuk by appearing. And God appears to one who is living by faith as he's been taught in chapter 2, verse 4. And he gives him strength. Strengthens Habakkuk's faith so much that he ends the prayer with his confession that even if all of the land was unfruitful and all the animals died and all the enemies overran the land, still he would rejoice in God, his Savior. God has the final word. He understands that after this appearance. So we will not fear, as we sing in Psalm 46, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Because God is on the throne. Now, as we go through these verses three to seven, the the appearance of God, it's written in such a way that it could be like a past experience he's describing or, or a present one. It is a then it should be understood as a present appearance of God and the experience of Habakkuk that he roots in past appearances of God. That's much like the Book of Revelation, which uses the language of the Old Testament and things like that. So. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Verse 3, these are to the south toward Mount Sinai. So if the Babylonians are going to come from the north and flood the country, they would come from uh, the north, Mount Hermon, um, Lebanon, and so on. From the south, God comes. From the area of the Sinai Desert where He gave the law. And then, God is called the Holy One. The Holy One came from Mount Paran. And that idea of God's holiness ties Him to His law, which again makes a strong connection to Mount Sinai where God gave the law. And God appears then just like He did at Mount Sinai when He gave the law. Verse 3b, His glory covered the heavens like that pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night in Coming on the top of Mount Sinai, His glory filled the heavens. And verse 3, see, His praise filled the earth as it should and it shall. His splendor, verse 4, was like the sunrise, bringing life, refreshing, brilliant to a darkened sinful world. Rays flashed from his hand, verse four B. That's his power, which is more than the power of Baal. Baal is, statues of Baal always have his arm like this, and a lot of them have a lightning bolt in his arm. Or in his hand. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. End of verse four. Remember by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm he rescued his people from Egypt? See that tie to the past and that reputation and that fame of God coming into play? Plague went before him, verse 5, as he devastated Egypt by the ten plagues. Pestilence followed his steps. Just think of him fighting for Israel behind them as Pharaoh tries to cross through the sea and Pharaoh and his hosts being drowned. He stood, verse 6, and shook the earth like a great giant, stepping on His territory. The Mount Sinai was shaking as God approached and began to speak to His people. And Now let's move ahead and see another sign like this when Christ rose from the dead. Actually, first when He died, the earth shook. Matthew records this only. And when He rose from the dead, the earth shook. He looked, verse 6b, and made the nations tremble The report of his work put all the inhabitants of Canaan to fear. In Habakkuk's day, this would come true when Nebuchadnezzar would eat grass like an ox and then afterward he would make a proclamation to his entire kingdom that the God of heaven alone had an eternal kingdom and was to be feared. The whole chapter of Daniel 4 is a proclamation of King Nebuchadnezzar incorporated into the Bible. And then later, Cyrus the Persian king would send the Jews back home And Habakkuk anticipates this as well and strengthens those who are in exile through his prophecies. And they would come back home with a letter from the king telling everybody to give them safe passage and supply them with lumber and with stone and with all they needed to rebuild the temple. And ever since Pentecost, brothers and sisters, the nations have been trembling. As the Gospel conquers their paganism, and Satan is kept on a chain, as it were, to keep from deceiving the nations to the last days. He looked and made the nations tremble. And the ancient mountains, 6B, crumbled. And the age-old hills collapsed. Now, the, the vision of God's appearing is, is straining forward and looking to the last day. God is coming in a great apocalyptic appearance causing nature to shrink away at His holiness and His power. The mountains just crumble away. Those old hills that never moved just collapse. His ways, Habakkuk, sings and prays. His ways are eternal. How fitting that as Habakkuk looks to the last day, he recalls that God's ways are eternal. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. goes back to Moses. And the distinction that has troubled Habakkuk from the beginning, that he doesn't see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, that he thinks God should make that distinction obvious right now. It's not fair that the righteous are righteous and don't get any reward. Well, That distinction between the righteous and the wicked does enter the picture. Verse 7, there it is. I saw, I saw, in this vision of God, I saw, listen everybody, this is what I saw. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Habakkuk is telling the people, I saw God making the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. God is righteous. God is the judge. God is not going to tolerate evil and injustice forever. The poor will not always suffer and the righteous will not always be persecuted. And the woes of chapter 2 that anticipate the final judgment, they anticipate a real judgment that Habakkuk gets to see something of it. God has heard his prayers even as he complains. That's the appearance of God. And then after that, in the following verses, Habakkuk is going to reflect on it and, and, and see God going to battle. So as we look back then at our text, these seven verses, what's the answer to Habakkuk's cry for, for justice and his plea that God would, would reward the righteous and would punish the wicked? The answer is God. The answer is the existence of God as just, righteous, and holy. The Holy One came from Mount Paran. And there's His splendor. There's His glory. There's His power. And there's the wicked in distress. Just to have God. That's the answer. He's so glorious, splendid, powerful, holy, and eternal. And so, brothers and sisters, now, let this come into your life, into your heart, and And think about the things that have troubled you in the past week and the whatever difficulties you may face. In all our troubles, we need him to renew his deeds in our day and make known his fame in our time too. And when we do that, we're praying for the ultimate justice of the last day. But how does God renew his deeds to us personally? How does he renew them to you right now? He does this through his word. His word preached and believed. He reveals Himself through the cross. And the weakness and the foolishness of the cross, where it seems as injustice absolutely triumphs, it's actually absolutely destroyed. And the humble children of God see Christ, the object of their faith. And in Christ, God most powerfully responded to Habakkuk's prayers When Christ rose from the dead, the dwellings of the wicked went into anguish. And they sent out a distress signal. Once Satan realized what had happened. Oh no! This is the beginning of the end. And when Christ rose from the dead, He stood and shook the earth. When Christ rose and ascended, He dazzled those around Him with His brilliance and the Apostle John felt struck dead when he saw the exalted Christ in heaven. Glorious in appearance in Revelation chapter 1 just like Habakkuk sees the glorious appearing of God here. O brothers and sisters, may He renew His work in our days and in our time. Reveal Himself through His Word, as He has promised. And may Christ come back. May He at the last day in the midst of outpoured wrath upon an ungrateful and stubbornly refusing world and an unfaithful church as well. May He also show His mercy, brothers and sisters. Pray to God that He would show His mercy to you, to me, to all of us. That He would powerfully save us for all eternity with Christ. That He would save more than they would be snatched from the fire even today. And so as for you, as you look forward to that day, as you praise the Lord, as you petition Him to renew His work, be steadfast in prayer. As Habakkuk here teaches us to pray. Talk to God. And live in between the time of resurrection an ascension between that time and the time of return, and have the power of both the resurrection and ascension and the coming power of the return present to you through the Word through which the Holy Spirit comes to you, by which He works in your hearts. Have that power present to you to strengthen you so that if all the crops are ruined and there's no food in the grocery stores, If you lose your job and everybody else does too, nothing is kept up anymore. All the city infrastructure falls apart. And the enemy comes in and overruns the nation. And your family is ripped apart and taken from you and killed before your eyes. Still, you would rejoice in God, your Savior, the Holy One, who is reigning who has a purpose. Has a plan, has a schedule, and is bringing us to the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.